like filling in, um, you know, one-time type thing, I think, well, now's an opportunity for me to uh, research something that, you know, to take the time to prepare a lesson. I, I This is very selfish, okay, so don't throw anything at me. But to take the time to prepare a lesson for a one-time teaching, I want to do something that uh, that I'm struggling with, you know, to take that time, that extra time and, and look at my own heart and see, you know, what's my major issue right now, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. You get to count. This is self-counseling for me, and you just are going to hear what I've counseled myself through for the last 10 days or so. So there, there is, there's lots of themes in the Bible, right? Um, but there seems to be one uh, that is most universal. What do you, anybody want to take a stab at what you think that might be? Love, Love? okay. Faith. Pardon? Faith. Faith. Those are all true, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> Anything else? How about this one? Idolatry. A major theme of the scriptures, large, large blocks and chunks of scripture talk about idolatry. Um, turn to Ezekiel 14.3. I want to read that together. I know it's only one verse there to go after for the moment, but I think it's important for us to look at that. Ezekiel 14.3. If somebody would read that when we all get there. Yeah, 14.3, Ezekiel 14.3. Son of man, these these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces a stumbling block for their iniquity. Should I I be consulted by them all? Isn't that interesting? Look what they've done. They've they've taken their idols into their hearts, right? And, And they have set the stumbling block of their iniquity where? Right before their faces. Now think about that. If this, if this is my idol right here, this is my stumbling block, right? And if I take that stumbling block, that idol, and I put it right before my face, what can I see? No, I've got a little peripheral, right? But this is where my focus is, right on that idol. And that's what Ezekiel's saying there. And, and you know, so... What we could say then is that anything that prevents the gospel from having center stage, center stage, right before our faces, anything that prevents the gospel from having center stage in our lives, guess what? It's going to dramatically, dramatically affect the way we live, and it's going to hinder the degree to which we glorify God. So it affects the way we live, and it hinders our worship of God. Right? Anything that, that we set up like that is going to hinder that. So when the gospel loses center stage in our lives, our spiritual immune system, if you will, shuts down, leaving us susceptible to who knows how many spiritual illnesses. Right? And a great example of that is um, I've got a weird disease. You all knew that, right? And uh, it's an autoimmune disease. Um, that um, 
my liver, my body thinks I've had a liver transplant. I haven't. Okay, and so my body is rejecting my liver on its own. It thinks, here's a foreign object, we've got to get rid of it. So I take an anti-organ rejection drug every day. Well, guess what that does? That beats my immune system into nothing. That's why I get the flu and shark bit and all this other weird stuff, right? <laughs> That's why I get sick, because I, I don't have an immune system. Well, think of that spiritually, right? When the gospel is not center stage in my life, it's like an autoimmune disease, right? It's, I don't have any protection against the world that's bombarding me every day. Do you think the world's not bombarding you every day? And who's behind the world, right? So see, listen to this uh, quote by C.J. Mahaney. He said, if there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. So my question then is, why aren't we so often? Why, so often, why are we not passionate about the gospel? Why is it not center stage in my life every single day, right? And countless Christians live every day with something other than the gospel holding first place in their lives. <clears throat> and guess what? That includes me, right? There are days when the gospel is not center stage in my life. David Pallison said this, Idolatry is by far the most frequent, frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. The relevance of massive chunks of scripture hang on our understanding of idolatry. I mean, just take first the, you know, the, fir- the first great commandment. What? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or take the first two or three Ten Commandments, right? Don't have any other gods before me. So open battle with idolatry in the Old Testament in particular appears very vividly, right? The first instance to me, the most striking instance is the golden calf. You know, think what had just happened in the lives of the Israelites, right? They've been delivered from oppression, slavery for 400 and, what, 30 years, and they've come across the, the you know, you've just seen the Red Sea parted. I mean, these are big-time events, right? I mean, is that going on in your life? You've seen the stuff like that? And, and, and they forget God. Moses goes up on the mountain, and how long is he there? Pardon? 30, 40 days, you know, I can't remember, something like that. <coughs> and what do the people do? I ain't coming back. You know, get all your jewelry. You've got to make a golden cow to worship. Really? You know, but when I was first saved and I would read stuff like that in the Old Testament, I, th- I said these exact words, quote, those boneheaded Israelites, you know, God's chosen people, and they couldn't even do it right. And then I've started to realize, wow, Tim, you're, you're more boneheaded than they were, right? I've got the Holy Spirit, and I forget God and build a golden calf, right? So huge chunks of Scripture hang on that. The, the open battle, with, it appears first, I think, with a golden calf. Then Judges is full of it, Samuel, Kings, the prophets, and Psalms. And the Bible also treats idolatry as a central feature of the world, right? We said that a minute ago, which shapes and molds us. The world we live in shapes and molds us. That's why we can go to a foreign country and we think, boy, they sure do that weird, right? Why do they do it different than we do it? Because their world is molding their, them, our world is molding us. And, you know, Satan's strategy of using the world hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. It hasn't. But what has changed? The mechanisms that he uses have changed. I mean, that's staunchly clear, is it not? 
You know, one of the striking things of all the awesome, spectacular things of our trip to Israel, one of the striking things to me was when Kit and I left the hotel one evening after dinner. We walked up the street a quarter of a mile and got on the public transportation. And um, full of young people. Guess what was exactly the same as in America? Every one of them was just like this. Every one of them. Satan's mechanisms have changed, but his, his, his um, <coughs> desire to cause us to stumble hasn't. So he's pretty crafty to be able to use the things of the world to get us to stumble along the way, right? So that shapes us. The world, um, those of you that know me well know my favorite book is Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a, a town in Pilgrim's Progress called Vanity Fair, and, and that's what the world is. The world is a vanity fair, right? And Bunyan strikingly portrays that for us. You know, writing in the 1600s, I don't know if you've seen, uh, you know, some, some of the Pilgrim's Progress uh, books have the picture, the illustrations in them. And the, the more money you spend on a Pilgrim's Progress book, the better the illustrations are. But they're fantastic. And the one of Vanity Fair, if you just sit there and look at that picture, you can see all of the different enticements that are there from the world. And, you know, uh, portraying the, the, interaction, the interaction between people. You and I are in Vanity Fair, right? We're here. So if we don't have the gospel as that center stage in our life, then we're going we're gonna to succumb to those enticements that are there, right? So, you know, <clears throat> the question becomes, reading the book, will Christian, the character serve the living God or any of those multitude of idols that even his wife is wanting him to do, his neighbors, his acquaintances, you know, over and over and over again. So that's a great picture of that for us. So this gospel drift, um, Brad Bigney, a pastor in Kentucky that's a a speaker at the ACBC conferences every year, uh, calls this gospel treason. Think about that. What a great name. Right. Gospel treason and inevitably gospel treason leads to idolatry. You know, you and I and every human being on the planet, we're we're worshipers by nature. We are going to worship something. Right. God created us that way as worshipers. Our, Our hearts don't just wake up one morning and just start this aimless drift through the day. Right. The drift is always away from the gospel away from our Savior and into the grip of something or someone else. Turn with me to 1 John. This is just... uh, Is it hot in here? Thought maybe my flu's coming back or something. Will that help? (coughs) Open the windows. Yeah, I could. T- then you'll see how wrinkled my shirt is. I might in a minute. First John, uh, look at the last uh, verse in the whole book of First John. This is astounding to me that John would end this like this. He's just taught all this stuff, and then verse twenty-one: "Little children, keep yourselves from idols." What? Isn't that a bizarre way to sign off a letter? I mean, it's not like he was talking about idolatry before that. So this is the last line of the letter. 
And it, it really, I think, leaves us asking a basic question, the question that God brings to our hearts every moment of every day, and here it is, ready? Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken the title of your heart? Does something or someone else hold your heart's trust, your heart's loyalty, your heart's desire, right? It shouldn't be surprising for us to, to know that the Christian life, listen to this now, is more than trying to connect to Christ and loving him, all right? That's first and foremost what we got to do. That's the center and the core of the gospel, right? But if we don't also keep a vigilant eye toward recognizing, detecting our idols and destroying them, we'll get trapped. We will get trapped. And guess what? So many times we'll get trapped in, in what we'll label a, a Christian virtue when it's not, right? I think you've got to be real careful there, right, of, of not getting trapped with that. Yes, sir? <coughs> Explain how we get trapped or... Well, maybe that was the wrong way to say it. Um, I, I, what I was thinking of, hold on. What I was thinking, well, like if I, pardon? No, no, between uh, legalism and not feeling like it. You know, like if I, if I say, well, I've got to pray for 10 minutes a day or I'm, I'm, I'm going to go astray. You know, if that starts, the, the principle of that's not bad at all, right? But if we if we make that the the uh, desire of your heart, you know, then you're doing it by rote rather than by love for God. Same, you could do the same thing with quiet time, right? I wholeheartedly believe every Christian ought to have time alone with God and His Word every day. Wholeheartedly believe that. But if I set that up as a legalistic check mark in my life that I'm sinning if I don't, or you, you know what I mean? Those kind of, that's what I meant by that. Um, so, <clears throat> where was I? John Calvin, you know, the great theologian, said, our hearts are idol factories. As soon as we destroy one, our heart has already produced another. You know, and I just, every time I hear that quote, I think of an assembly line. You know, and the idols are rolling off, and I'm here crushing them as they roll off. But all i got to do is look right there, and here's another one coming, getting ready to roll off, right? So you might confess, listen to this, this is, this is a tough one. We might confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but our functional, practical life, what really motivates me? Jesus is Lord. Praise God, Jesus is Lord. I used to... Um, I love that statement, by the way. It's out of Romans. Paul used it. It's all in Acts as well. Um, but if that's not my functional way of life, my practical life, what is really motivating me, right? I think the Jesus is Lord is, is we could call that a confessional theology that, that looks good and it lines up with sound biblical doctrine. But what really motivates me Monday morning when I'm away from all of y'all and I'm at work, you know, that's my functional theology. So we have to have more than a confessional theology. We have to have a functional theology that follows that, right? And, and honestly, our functional theology, theology can be way out of line. I remember when I was first saved, I uh, 
the Lord blessed me. I was in the pest control business. And back then, Atlanta had, this was in like 91, and Atlanta had lots of AM radio stations that were Christian. And um, they had good preachers on. They had some bad ones too, but they had some good ones on there. And I remember listening to Tony Evans one time, and he was talking about not being a smock. And what he was saying with that was, don't be a Sunday morning only Christian, right? And and I was thinking, I think it was even this morning, I was thinking that, you know, if I go back just 20 years in Cherokee County, where we live now, it was everybody, some of y'all maybe were like little bitty back then, but uh, <laughs> guess what? There was not even ball practice on Wednesday nights. You know, because that was Wednesday night was a church night, right? And now, you know, you got ball practice on, you got games on Sunday morning. Um, You know, think of the Christian bookstore thing, how prominent those used to be. Independent individuals owning businesses that weren't in the trinket business. They were actually selling good stuff, you know. That's all waned, you know, that somehow our, our, our functional theology has just gotten way out of whack, right? We might say Jesus is Lord, but in our life, our thoughts, in our desires, and our affections, we might be dominated by something else, like what? Making more money, or getting attention from other people. You know, th- those are the things we got to guard against. So, we're only fooling ourselves because other things are really our Lord, if we don't recognize this. I mean, if you don't recognize in this in your life, and and you're married, um, I bet your spouse recognizes it, right? Um, hopefully, you husbands and wives can communicate those kind of things to one another. But millions of people live this way without even knowing it. They're trapped and deceived and they're miserable because they've made a functional God, little g, out of something or some, even someone other than the one true living God, which, guess what, leads to misery and chaos, sometimes, no. And eventually, always, right? Misery and chaos, always. You can't stay, if you're a believer in Christ, you can't stay in the wrong arena with that and it not affect you. Sooner or later, every time it's going to come. You know, we need to be assured that God will not help us chase our idols. You realize God is a jealous God, right? He is a jealous God. He said in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So when God sees me and you pursuing the glory of something else, he's not going to help us get it. That may be a good indicator that your prayers are off base. You know, if you've been praying for something and, you know, you're kind of ignoring the fact that it might be an idol and you're not getting it, you're not getting it. You know, maybe the Lord is, he's, uh, he's not going to help you get that because it's an idol in your life. So, you've got to understand that this is a lifelong battle, detecting and destroying idols. It's an ongoing, it's, it's not a showdown, right? It's not a one and done thing. I wish it were, don't you? I think of the Western movies, you know, where you come outside, you know, I love Westerns. Y'all like Westerns? I think I saw there's a new one coming out, is there? So, Yeah. I don't go to the movies very often, but I might have to go to that one. But, you know, the deal where they get out in the street, you know, and it's a one and done, baby, you or me. Wouldn't that be great if idolatry was that way? 
I've got a bunch of guns. I'd get both hands full, you know, and go after it. If I could shoot it one time and be done with it, that would be awesome. But it's not that way. Why is it not that way? Jeremiah 17, 9. Can anybody quote that? The heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, guess what? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. That's your heart. That's my heart. Right? And my, that's my redeemed heart. And that's what it's like. Second half of it says, who can know it? Right? You can't even know it. Does that bother you that you can't really even know yourself? That ought to be an indication that, you know what? I certainly don't need to trust me if I don't know me. Yeah, there you go. Great point. Lee said that's why you can be so self-deceived. That's why you need this and what else? One another, well, this, the Holy Spirit, and then other people to help you. Because you can be so, I mean, is there anybody in here that's never been wrong? (laughs) You know? (laughs) All I got to do is ask your spouse that, right? (coughs) So, this, this battle can't be won with little Christian techniques or tricks that you can just go to the bookstore and buy, right? It can only be done with the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God cuts through our heart's protective layers to expose what's really going on inside of us. Then, once we do that, real change can take place. Look at Hebrews 4.12. Somebody can probably quote that one, too. Got you jumping all over this morning. <coughs> Somebody read that when you get there. The word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, divi- the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this is a very unique sword, right? A very, very unique sword. No other sword can penetrate the way this one does. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that God's word can reach that innermost recesses of our being that you and I can't reach, right? That's the part, the second part of the Jeremiah 17, 9, or I think, I'm sorry, verse verse 10, Jeremiah 17, 10 says the Lord can. I, the Lord can. We can't, but the Lord can, and he does it through his word. You know, we, we, we can't think that we can bluff our way out of something with God, right? There's no secrets hidden from God, right? We can't keep our thoughts to ourselves when it comes between us and God. I can do that between me and you, but I can't do it between me and God. And honestly, that bothers me, you know, because I could be thinking something really weird about you right now, and you'd never know it, right? But I can't hide that from God. Does that bother you a little bit, you know? Um, it's kind of that thing you can run, but you can't hide, right? <clears throat> and that, that bothers me deeply, right? The whole of human nature, however we divide it, whether it's physical or non-material at all, every bit of it is open to the gaze of God. The word discerning in the ESV uh, is translated in the New American Standard as judges, right? This is moving us into... Think about this now, a legal terminology. The Word of God passes judgment on our feelings and our thoughts. Nothing evades it. It's a judge for us, right? And what we hold as most secret 
we find subject to the scrutiny and judgment of God. So we got to focus on God's word rather than techniques or principles. We, we must make God's word our focus to get us freedom from idols. Now, one of my favorite passages, if you'll jump over from where you are to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is, uh, I'll give you a a, a marriage counseling 101. Um, Most times when my wife and I, not most times, every time that my wife and I have a disagreement, these verses can come into play, right? So look what James says, Tim... What causes quarrels and what causes fights between you and Kit? What do I want to say? <laughs> That's an easy one, God. Why in the world do you want to even ask that? Look at her. Look what she's doing. Right? I mean, isn't that what we do? And, and, but look what God says, Tim. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Tim, you desire something and you don't have it. So you're, you murder her, you're angry at her, you cut her down, you slice her up, you ignore her, you covet, Tim, can't you see that? And you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel with your wife. Isn't that, wait, that's, not, no, I don't want that, I don't like that. You don't have because you don't, do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So, Basically, what God's telling us here is we ask amiss because so often I want something just because it would make my life more comfortable or it would make me happier, right? We make life all about what? Us and how we feel, right? I hate that word, feel. Because my feelings are what get me in trouble more than anything else in this life, right? And... um Anyway, we make life all about us, which then does what? Makes us become the idol. So why is idolatry such a big deal? Because it flies in the face of God, right? Exodus 20, verse 3, Ten Commandments, You shall have no other gods before me, right? No other gods, Tim, before me, right? And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then again in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 22, 37, the great commandment. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he's not talking about three different things there. He's emphasizing the fact that a totality of who you are is to love the Lord your God. So what is an idol? All that to show that we've got a huge problem. So what is this idol? Anything... Or anyone that captures your hearts, minds, and affections more than God can be a good thing, could be a bad thing, you know. Anything that I want more than I want God, it's, it's who or what I worship, it's what I long for, it's what I think about, I set my heart on it. And like I said, it's a big deal because it flies in the face of God. And if you look at every sin you've ever committed in your life, you will see that idolatry is at the center of why you sin, right? It's a big deal because it, it infiltrates and takes over our hearts, 
which is the nerve center of our being, right? Determining the way we sin, when we sin, and with whom we sin. I like to think of it this way. It's like the bicycle wheel. You got the whole wheel. You got the hub. That's our heart. That's where the idols are. The spokes come off of the hub and they attach to the whole wheel there, right? Each spoke is a specific sin and you can trace it back to the hub, to the heart every time. So identifying the idols of the heart is when the the tide, I guess you could say, I can't use that word, tide. <laughs> Stupid Alabama. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, it's when the when it starts to turn and we got to go after the heart, right? We got to go after the heart. So when when listen to this. This is a good point thinking of Alabama, Georgia. Um when someone is in a rage, right? When someone's in a rage, you can be sure that someone else has threatened one of his idols. And guess what? War is about to break out, right? Anger, irritability, verbal outbursts, right? These, these are all things that uh, when that starts to happen in my life, that's something that is showing that there's an idol there and something in my heart has gone awry, okay? Or, or sin, you know, that sin can be traced back to my idol every time. John Piper says it this way, sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with God. Sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with God. Isn't that good? Sin is something we do when when we're chasing after something other than God. One of our idols, right? So idolatry is at the center stage of our hearts because it is nothing more than a metaphor for human cravings, yearning, greedy demands, right? We we can... we're, We're... when we're craving something other than God, even something that might be good, God takes that very seriously. And in that moment, he's going to come after us because life is better than our idols, right? Life is better for us when we're focused on God. So turn, the big question is then how do we become idolaters? How does this happen? I woke up this morning and I wasn't, worshiping an idol the moment I woke up, maybe a few minutes later, but uh, how, how did I get there, right? You ever wonder, how did this happen? So if we'll look at Romans chapter 1, and that'll give us a little bit of an idea of how this happened. Romans 1, we're going to look at verses 21 through 25 first, and then we'll go back and look at 19 and 20 after that. So we're going to start with 21. Romans 1.21, it says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, that means because of all that, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we, we come into this world aware, aware of a glorious God, aware of him through creation 
in conscience, right? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I mean, just what are your favorite things to gaze upon, right? Some of mine, the mountains, the ocean, a baby, right? When you look at that, what do you see? Majesty, 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 right? God, God, God. You know, and then now look at verse 19 and 20, Romans 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look what it says there. For what is known about God, what? It's plain to them. There's no excuses. Why? Because God has shown it to them, right? And then there's the conscience. Can't get away from that either. Romans 2.15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. So that law written on their hearts, that's what we just talked about. God's put it there. And their conscience bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You know, that is one of the... uh, if you're ever scared to evangelize, to talk to somebody about the Lord, just think of that you're really speaking into that part of the person. The part that you know for a fact, because Scripture says that God's put it in there. Witness to that, right? Forget about the person. Witness to that. So why do we turn from, turn from God to idolatry? Why do we turn... Why did the Israelites turn from the golden calf? You know, those things are written for us as examples, right? Because the Israel, like the Israelites, we don't remember, listen to this now, the last good and glorious thing that God did for us by the time the next trial rolls around, right? We, we forget. We forget. All we see is the moment, the trial, and we start making golden calves, right? Instead of worshiping God, we, we forget where God brought us. And that was the problem with the Israelites. They thought, Moses, man, you've been gone too long, right? He didn't come back. We're going to make another God of our own making. We struggle with that same thing now, timing, God's timing. It's not our timing. So we turn to something that we can control. You know, I want control. I want it when I want it, where, why, how I want it. And if God's not going to deliver it, then I'm going to do it on my own. I try and take control, right? And, you know, I can 100% honestly say, I don't pay any attention to this, but I say it in its truth, is though it never serves me good. Never, not once, right? It serves me poorly, but I turn back to it again. My idols hurt me, but I turn back to them again. They cost me dearly, but I turn back to them again, right? But I, I think that they're more predictable than God. I think I can take control. I can be in the driver's seat, right? Have you ever heard this set statement? God is good, but he's not safe. You ever heard that? I can't remember who's, was it C.S. Lewis? Pardon? Lion, the witch, okay, good. And, and you know, what, he, what he's saying there is, that God will mess with your life, right? He'll mess with your life, not just by messing with it, but to conform you to the image of Christ. And if your flesh isn't wanting that, you're in a bad spot, right? 
it, it, the flesh wants to remove the uneasiness from the Christian walk. And, and idols offer a way for me to do that. So, how does God do that? How does he mess with you? Yeah. Well, you know, by not giving you what you want, for one thing, you know, and then by making life difficult for you while you're trying to do your own thing. Um, well, uh, that was a different situation, I think, with Job. Job wasn't trying to manipulate things there. You know, he was um, more like the Israelites in the golden calf, you know, and they didn't wait on God. or. Um, we could, like, turn our minds over and, and then let us, like, put up idols and stuff mm-hmm. and show us how dumb we are and then... Cause us... Sure. That'd be a good so that they build our faith as well. Yeah. Yeah, we build. That's a good point of James. How, how in Romans 5 as well, how trials build character and perseverance and faith and wisdom in our lives. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And it wasn't enough, yeah. Great point. Yeah. Great point. You know, bottom line is, idols are a lie, they're a false promise, and they don't deliver. So that's why Romans one twenty one, that's what it's talking about when it says, All they knew although they knew God, so we start off knowing God, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him, and they become futile in their thinking. That's what you were talking about, Thomas. Right? And their foolish hearts are darkened at that point. They claim to be wise, but they're actually fools. Right? It's that exchanging the glory of God for the glory of an image of something that we've created. A, a truth of God for a lie. Right? Anything we exchange for God is a lie. So, since we're worshipers and we're going to worship something, how do we get ourselves in a position to start dealing with these idols and here's the practicality of this lesson i think the first place to start is to deal with idolatry in our lives is by asking god to search us right we must be willing to sit down and and honestly say psalm 139 23 and 24 which says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, thoughts can be translated anxieties or cares, right? Try me and know my anxieties, my cares, my fears. What, what do I, why am I becoming so anxious about this? Right? That's, that, those are idols. And, and what if I don't get what I want? What if I lose it, right? Those are the fears and the anxieties that we can ask God to search us for. So we should pray, search me, O God, right? Honestly, clear conscience, alone, just me and God. Now, this is not a one-time deal, as I said before. And it's not because God's not clear about what we're to do, but it's because we're very poor listeners. So it's an ongoing thing. We, we must focus on Christ and the gospel. So here's 15 questions that we can ask ourselves that will begin to show us our idols. First one, 
<laughs> Ready? Number one. Am I willing to sin to get this? Here's the example I came up with. Not referring to anybody you know. How about the husband who wants to go duck hunting this weekend? So he's going to work overtime to get some extra cash so as not to burden the family. And in doing so, the kids are in bed every night. The wife's frazzled. She's had to deal with the kids all week by herself. He hasn't had any time to spend on his wife. He gets up at 4 a.m. on Saturday because, you know, you got to get the decoys out before it turns light. In some states, you can't go in your boat until 4 a.m. So he's up at 4. He's out. Hadn't been home all week. And he gets home late that evening, and he is dog-tired. Can't get up Sunday morning to go to church. Am I willing to sin to get this? You know, is going duck hunting really worth all that? You know, what's the sin that's involved there? Well, okay. (laughs) What else? The sin. Pardon? Yeah, the 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 idol's the duck hunting. Putting yourself ahead of family. Now, is there anything wrong with duck hunting? No, nothing wrong with duck hunting. All right, so, all right, well, I'm not going to do that. So, question number two. Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose this? Am I willing to sin if I don't get to go duck hunting? Hmm. So, you know, not good to treat my wife that way and the kids. So, you know, we've been saving this money for a new washing machine. I'll take that and not tell her. And she'll never know. That one's holding out pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'll work a little overtime, maybe one day a week for the next month, and I'll get the money back. To She'll never know it was gone. I'm not even going to talk to her about it. Am I willing to sin if I think I'm losing this? All right, you see what he's just done now? You know, he was convicted the first go-around because, you know, he knows he needs to be home for his wife in the evening. And um, he need, knows he needs to be with his family on Sunday in church. And um, so he's come up with another plan. And now, number three, question number three, do I turn to this as a refuge and comfort instead of going to God? So now is the duck hunting, but I'm going to switch it a little bit onto the wife this time. Poor guy. So the wife finds out the washing machine broke Tuesday. Uh-oh. She goes to see the budget, and there's no money there for the washing machine. Oh, my gosh, what has happened to it? So she confronts hubby, and he says, Well, I decided instead of working overtime that I would just take that money and, and, and use it, and I'll work a couple of days overtime over the next month, and we'll be able to replace it. But so now she, do I turn to this as a refuge and comfort instead of going to God? And now instead of going to God over this, guess what? She goes to the girlfriends and she starts blasting her husband to all of her friends. She says, I know the Bible says that God's grace is most powerful in my weakness in a time like this. 
But you know what? To load up those five kids, go to the laundromat, and them running all over the place and having to have all those quarters to put in the machine, gosh, you know. And so now she's on the phone with all of her buddies just tearing him up. Does that make sense? Are those real things? You know, they are in my world, <laughs> you know. <coughs> and just simple little things. All I wanted to do was go duck hunting, for crying out loud, Right. And But this is when that becomes that important. Now my wife is stumbling because of it as well. Um, since idolatries are both generated from within our own hearts, right, and insinuated from outside the wife's situation, that there's, there's provocative implications to our modern-day contemporary problems, right? And, and we've got to be careful that we're not you know, spurring other people into that mindset. You know, if if my wife at that moment rages at me, you know what? I tend to learn something about the importance of what happened with me wanting to get my own way, right? And as well as maybe some new tricks and techniques for accomplishing it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll work the overtime next. No. So, number four, what do I desire, seek, aim for, pursue, or hope for? <clears throat> number five what are my goals expectations and intentions <clears throat> six do I want what I want or do I want Christ's lordship over my life well, that's a tough one seven pardon yeah number six was do I want what I want or do I want Christ's lordship over my life? <clears throat> Number seven, where do I look for security, meaning, happiness, joy, comfort? Basically, I guess you could sum that up. Where do I put my basic trust? What was that? Number seven. Number eight. What would make me happy? Number nine. What do I fear? What do I tend to worry about? Number ten. What do I love and hate most of all? Well, here's a really good one. Eleven. How do I define success or failure in a particular situation? Twelve, what image do I have of who I am? Now, listen to this one. This one is really probing. (laughs) If I were lying on my deathbed, what to me would sum up my life as having been worthwhile? You ever think about that? Well, he was the greatest squirrel hunter of all time. Right? (laughs) Is that what you're going to put on my tombstone? Right? What do you, number 14, what do you see as your rights? And then probably the most convicting one of all is the last one, number 15. What do I pray for? You know, when we start to do battle with our enemies, these are just some good questions to run our minds through. 
and see where we're coming out on the back side of that. All right? Pardon? Number 12 was, what image do I have of who I am? And if it's the image of the Barnum and Bailey Circus, which would be what? It doesn't exist anymore, by the way, but what was their image? The greatest show on earth. You know, if that's what you got, you're probably in the wrong direction. All right, well, uh, we can be dismissed. Thanks for your time.